Welcome to the weekly podcast channel for the Wilmington Church of Christ. We hope that this channel inspires and encourages you to take the gospel to all people, transforms hearts to be like Christ, and trains disciples to make disciples. For more information about our church, please go to wcconline.org. Enjoy the message. The Apostle John recorded some beautiful words, and you might have heard them before. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, this is verse 17, but to save the world through him. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But there's a flip side to this beautiful expression of grace. Verse 18 continues, and this is, this is the part that really bothers people. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Later in John's Gospel, he continues in the same chapter, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That's in verse 36. And that is a beautiful expression of God's grace. But he continues, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. This is the exact same place we find the Apostle John when we encounter Revelation chapter 10. He's given a scroll that is sweet in his mouth but sour in his stomach. John is familiar with this kind of talk. His followers were too. They tell people about Jesus and the beautiful grace he offers and then they are beaten and banished and murdered. And that's how we start off the theme of Revelation chapters 8 through 11. Now, you might have felt something like this before in your own life. Maybe you've tried to tell somebody about Jesus, and they have pushed you away and rejected that conversation. I remember a conversation I had with a, a dear friend of mine, and I started down the road about Christ and baptism and following, turning over to Christ. And have, have they given any thought to giving their lives to Jesus? And that person stopped me in the middle of my sentence and said, I don't want to talk about that. Another conversation I had way back when I was in college, I was, uh, I was in a babysitting job and I was talking to the, the, the mom of the son and I was telling her about the beauty of Jesus Christ and she responded, I wish I could believe, but I don't and I don't want to talk about this anymore. In between trumpet 6 and trumpet 7 of Revelation chapter 9, Jesus gives us the reason for this part of Scripture. In chapters 6 through 8, Jesus opened the seals of the scrolls, revealing the will of God, and the six seals describe how history works and the bad stuff that people are going to have to go through. And at the end of the sixth seal, there was a question, who can stand under all of this bad that is going to happen? And the answer was made clear. Those who are in Christ, those who are in the Lord and remain faithful, even to death, will be the ones who can stand and be victorious and reign with Jesus forever. Remember that uh, passage of Scripture? They are before the throne of God and serve Him night and day in the temple, and He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd he will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
That was the expression of faith from Revelation chapter 7, verses 15 through 17. And within those chapters, it's like we're seeing the suffering of the whole world from the followers of Christ's perspective. And those who are sealed with a mark on their foreheads by the Holy Spirit will stand in victory before God's throne. Now in chapters 8 and 9, John describes another set of seven. But this time, it's not seals, it's seven trumpets given to seven angels. And Jesus is using one of his favorite teaching methods called recapitulation, where he recaps what he just went over. Anytime we find a recap in scripture, it's a retelling of the same story or theme from a different perspective or for a different purpose. And the seven seals told of God's wrath on earth from a Christian perspective, but now the seven trumpets tell of God's wrath from a non-believer's perspective. And just like between seal number six and seal number seven, there was a question, who can stand under God's wrath? That told us the main point of the seals. There's another type of statement made in between trumpet number six and trumpet number seven that leads us to the main point of the trumpet. Hang with me and we'll, we'll get to that statement and the main point in, in just a moment. But we have to go back and get the recap. To start this recapitulation and get into the trumpet, John paints this terrible picture for us to see. Remember in seal number five, the Christ followers who had been killed because of their testimony were asking God to bring justice on the people who had killed them. So Jesus shows John how God would bring about his justice for believers, the martyrs of the faith, and they did not die in vain. Here's how Jesus reveals what will happen in chapter 8 of Revelation, verse 3. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar and who was given much incense to offer. With the prayers of all of God's people... Remember what they were praying for. They were praying for justice. On the golden altar in front of the throne, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. And then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Whenever you hear that phrase, flashes of thunder and rumblings and lightning, an earthquake, that is the sound made from the throne of God. This is God's judgment going forth. Verse 6 continues, Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The trumpets are the warning sounds of judgment. And each trumpet, at each trumpet, the wrath of God gets worse and worse. I'll read through the first four trumpets. They move kind of fast, but I must warn you, you might want to take the kids out of the room because it kind of gets scary. Here's verse 7. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth. And a third of the grass, a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now, we have to remember that when John is using this, this uh, one-third talk, he is not saying this as a take it straight for what it means, a literal meaning. He's saying this is a, not a complete judgment, but this will be a judgment, but it's not over yet. And he continues in verse 10, The third angel sounded his trumpet. And a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of the water. And the name of the star is Wormwood. 
A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. Now here's how we know that this is not a complete judgment, and this is not a literal one-third. If you have one-third of the sun gone, you, we can't survive as a planet. How do you even take away one-third of the sun? If you have one-third of the moon gone, our planet would spin off into space. These judgments are describing economic and ecological and industrial and physical disasters that happen and occur on the earth. But it's from the non-believer's perspective. And the Apostle John is teaching us that we're to listen to the voice of God in history, particularly to his judgments against sin. What do you think people might do if they were going through this kind of trouble? Uh, one author helps us understand the symbols in Revelation this way. The storm images can symbolize historical judgments against nations. The fall of a mountain onto the sea is a symbol of national calamity. Blowing trumpets and casting down mountains and throwing a rock into the sea are images of the overthrow of Babylon. And forcing people to drink bitter water that poisons and kills them signifies a bitter experience like invasion or defeat or exile. And the sun and moon struck with darkness can be a sign of conquest by a foreign power. Therefore, these trumpets symbolize natural and political disasters that have happened since the beginning of time. And it displays God's sovereignty over creation and supremacy over man's idols. But most importantly and most deadly and most scary, his wrath against sin. You, you might have also noticed that these plagues on earth kind of look like the plagues of Egypt. Hail is a plague God sends on Egypt in Exodus 9. Water to blood and the water is ruined for drinking is a plague from Exodus 7. And darkness, a third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, darkness is a plague from Exodus chapter 10. Jesus is telling us something with these symbols in Revelation. He is saying, recall what happened in Egypt when I stretched out my hand to punish, punish Pharaoh. Re recall how Egypt rejected God's commands. Do, do we remember what happened? The plagues only fell on the Egyptians, not God's people. That's why we think to interpret the trumpets as suffering from God's judgment from the perspective of those who are not believers. And it's terrible. Dr. Mark Moore wrote, you thought suffering on earth as a Christian was difficult. Wait until you see how non-Christians suffer. But there's something else Jesus is wanting us to see about the suffering from God's wrath. Why did God send the plagues on Egypt? Why is Jesus making us remember those plagues? It was to get the king of Egypt to repent and turn to God. And the plagues kept getting worse and worse. And God kept giving the king more and more patience and time to repent. But the king of Egypt didn't repent. The scripture said, the worse the plagues got, the more stubborn Pharaoh made his heart. 8.13 continues, As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe! Woe! Woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. The Romans the non-believers thought that the eagle flying overhead was an omen or a sign from the gods. 
and remember this is the wrath of God from the perspective of those who don't follow Christ, they would be looking for omens and fortune tellers just like what God gave them. And here we have an omen that just said, you thought it was bad for the first four trumpets? It's going to get a lot worse. And when the fifth trumpet sounds in chapter 9, things get so bad that people wish they could die. Let me put in a shameless plug um, and a little bit of a tease. If you want to know a good way to interpret the locust from the abyss and more about the fifth trumpet, you'll have to come to our Wednesday night or Sunday night revelation class on Zoom. But it's terrible. In the fifth trumpet, the people wish they could die. They seek death, but they can't. They can't find death. They can't find any relief. And then the sixth trumpet, people start dying. And it's horrible to behold. So what do the people who don't follow Christ do? Do they hear the warning in the trumpet blast? When the terrible wrath and justice of God is poured out, do they contemplate their ways? Do they start examining their hearts? Do they start remembering and thinking over their lives and realize they need to turn? No. Their hearts have been hardened by years and years and years of practice rejecting God. Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They're blind. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Jesus tells us after the sixth trumpet, the statement that leads us to the whole point of the seven angels with the seven trumpets. Don't forget, in between the sixth and seventh seal, we got the point of the seals. The believers in Christ will be able to stand under and through and after the wrath of Christ and judgment has come. In the Old Testament, a trumpet was used to sound an alarm and likewise the trumpets of Revelation 8 warn us of what is to come. They do not refer to the final judgment, but to God's judgments throughout all history that warn us that the final judgment is coming soon. And now we get to the point. After six trumpets of warning, after six terrible plagues of wrath fall on the earth and on to, from a non-believer's perspective, on to the non-believers, what do they do? When it comes to natural disasters, it should make us all realize how small and weak we really are. It reveals our inability to control anything but our, our own heart response. And no matter how good or big or safe you are, there are things out there that are beyond our control. And this either makes us spiral into a deep, in, into a deep despair or turn and fully rely on God. And for the non-believer, though, it doesn't seem to make them turn to God. And then here's the point that we need to get to hear to understand what we need to do. Here's what it says in verse 20 of chapter 8. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent. They did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver, bronze, stone and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. They acted just like the king of Egypt. Listen, 
Our world has been locked down because of a new virus for three months. Cyclone Amphan, the strongest storm ever recorded in the Bay of Bengal, barreled into India's eastern coastline last Wednesday. My brother lives in California and there was a 6.5 earthquake near where he lives on May 15th with over 100 aftershocks within three days. Every time we encounter something beyond our control, we need to know that this is a trumpet blaring to get our attention and turn and rely and repent to God. We need to repent, turn our life over to the control of Christ. If you survive tragedy, that is God giving you just one more opportunity to turn to Him. This is His patience for us. Every time we encounter terrible events, we need to take stock of our lives and make sure we're, we are one that is in Christ and we cannot wait. There was a plane a year ago that tried to make an emergency landing in Moscow. And as it hit the ground, it landed too hard and it landed awkwardly and it ignited the fuel, and people began to die. One of the passengers escaping from the plane could hear the people in the back being engulfed. And this sobering thought came through. This passenger reported that he thought the people who knew they were in great danger of dying would be calling out for God's help. But this person just heard them cursing, and they were cursing as they died. We must not wait to turn to Christ before our time comes. We must do it now because when the time comes, if you're not in Christ, you will revert to the habits and the heart that you have outside of Christ, the way that you have been living. The trumpets in this passage from Revelation is our warning to turn to Christ now. But what are Christians supposed to do? We who follow Christ who are able to stand under the wrath and be victorious in heaven, even if we get caught in the crossfire and die. What should we do as we see the warnings of God's wrath and judgment all around us? The answer in the main point of these seven trumpets happens in two big pictures. One is in chapter 10, verses 7 through 11. That's where John receives the word that is sweet in his mouth, yet bitter in his stomach. The other picture that tells us what to do is in chapter 11, verses 1 through 14. Here's what 10.7 says. In the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he preached the gospel to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, it turned my stomach sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. John was given a message and it tasted sweet in his mouth. Those who believe in Christ will be saved. But it turned his sour stomach. Those who do not believe in Christ will remain in God's wrath. This is the message of Jesus. To know the will of God and the mystery revealed to us that Jesus rose from the dead, taking away our sin and giving us an adoption into God's family, it is so sweet. 
And John wrote those sweet words. Um, Christian identity is the only time where we are given something that we can't earn and we can never lose. That's the point of John 3, 16 through 17. We're given this new identity where we are God's adopted into God's family, where he declares us not guilty. But the other side of the message is sour. Whoever doesn't believe stands condemned already because they haven't believed in the name of God's one and only Son. John 3, 19 says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. That's the sour part. John was told he must preach this message to many peoples, nations, language, and kings. That's the number four again. Jesus is telling us the whole earth must hear this. John is to continue to preach that message to the entire world and never stop. And it is so sweet to know Jesus and so sour to know that people will hate you when you confront them with the light of the truth. It's so sweet to see lives changed and souls saved and so sour to have your own family reject you. It's so wonderful to know you will stand victoriously in heaven, that you want to share that treasure with others. And it's so sour to be banished like John to the island Patmos, put in prison for your beliefs, and even your family killed for your testimony. It recalls Ezekiel, who was also given a book and commanded to eat it, sweet in his mouth and sour in his stomach. The people of Ezekiel's congregation rejected him. Ezekiel 3, 7 says, The people of Israel are not willing to listen to you because they are not willing to listen to me, says the Lord, for all the Israelites are hardened and obstinate. And then Jeremiah also received a word that was good, but his people rejected his message too. Jeremiah complains to God and in Jeremiah 20, verse 8, he says, Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. He's prophesying what's going to come on them if they don't repent. And then he continues, So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day. One preacher wrote, No biblical witness that we know of, not Moses, not Elijah, not John the Baptist, or our Lord Jesus Christ himself, was unacquainted with this bitterness the sour in our stomach. But this is our example. And when we get frustrated because people reject our message or reject us or even seek to kill us, we are reminded of the seals. We can stand. And if you can stand, you are promised to remain victorious. You have no fear of death. And you have no fear of death, then your job is to witness for Christ no matter what the cost this is the call to John, and it's the call to the church, which is the main point of chapter 11. John is told to continue to witness at the end of chapter 10, but we, the entire church, those who believe in Christ, are told to bear witness in chapter 11. Remember, this is still the interlude between the sixth and seventh trumpet. This is the part of the vision that Jesus uses to tell us what we're supposed to know and do, and we are supposed to witness. We're supposed to talk about what Jesus has done for us, our experience of Christ, what we have seen him do in other people, we are supposed to witness to him. And just like Ezekiel, John was given a scroll to eat. Now, just like Ezekiel, John is given a measuring rod in chapter 11 for a temple that doesn't exist. 
In Ezekiel's day, he measured something that wasn't there. And by the time John measures, the temple in Jerusalem has been gone over 20 years. So what's John measuring? The temple in the New Testament are the Christ followers. Those who are in God, not outside of God. The people John is told to measure are going to be trampled by the non-Christians for a short time. Here's what John says in chapter 11. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, Go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers, but exclude the outer court, do not measure it. Because it has been given to the Gentiles, they, were tr they will trample on the holy city for 42 months. This is describing the people of God being rejected because of their message for a short time. And then Jesus appoints two witnesses. Remember, this is symbology that John and Jesus is using in this revelation, this apocalyptic literature. Jesus calls to our mind two olive trees and two lampstands from Zechariah chapter 4. And it brings to mind Joshua and Zerubbabel, the anointed king and priests. The kingdom and priests will stand and justice will come upon those who hurt them. Revelation 11 continues with verse 5. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouth and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want, says Revelation 11.6. But notice they don't. They don't use their power to strike back at those who are hurting them. Then these kings and priests witness these two witnesses go out in the spirit of the new Moses and the new Elijah, just like Jesus acted as the new Moses and John the Baptist acted as his Elijah. And how did Jesus witness? Did he call for 10,000 angels to protect him? Did he strike people dead that attacked him? No, he, he told the truth. He revealed God and God's judgment to those who were perishing. And he called for repentance. And how did the world treat him? They killed him. And then God raised him from the dead. And his resurrection sparked a new identity and a new kingdom that will last forever. And the same things will happen to the witnesses in chapter 11. Verse 7. Now when they had finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower them and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other's gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on earth. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come, up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. That's recalling the end of the world, the second coming of Christ. When the dead are raised to meet Jesus as he comes back to the new earth. And everyone is going to be facing judgment. Jesus has already told us in this revelation that he made his followers a kingdom and priests. And Jesus has already told his followers in this revelation that they will be protected spiritually. And they will not suffer the second death they will be able to stand victorious even if they suffer and die at the hands of persecution or tragedy. 
And for the believers in John's day, to continue to witness means they might die. Yet they are called and commanded to follow the example of Christ and called and commanded to follow the example of John. And they are called and commanded to witness no matter the cost. This is the example that is true for us as well. We are promised victory if we remain faithful. Part of being faithful is obedience to Christ's call to witness. The two witnesses have power like Moses and Elijah, and yet the beast still kills them. What might be the message that Jesus is trying to tell us? How did Jesus use his power when he was attacked? Jesus wants us to know that the message is stronger than any worldly power. Our witness is to win people to Christ, and we win others to Christ by using the methods Christ used. Jesus chose not to access his power and was killed for his witness. And this will be the way to have people repent and turn to God. If we continue to love people even when they attack us, and we continue to serve people even when they hate us, and we continue to forgive people even when they don't deserve it, then when tragedy strikes, and it will strike, either by the outstretched hand of God's judgment or just because our broken world is crying out to be redeemed, when tragedy strikes and we've been a steady, loving, merciful influence, then the non-believers will repent and turn to God. And that's what happens in verse 13. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. They only gave glory to God after the witnesses received resurrection, after the witnesses allowed themselves to be killed and God allowed them to stand victorious. And just like the meaning of the seals was found between number six and number seven, we have found the meaning and the idea behind the trumpets hidden in these symbols. No matter how you interpret who the witnesses are, the clear theme is to preach the truth of Scripture even in the midst of heavy persecution and to keep on witnessing about what you've seen and heard and experienced in Christ, even if it means death. And we are assured that we will stand in victory because we have been sealed with Christ, even if we're not spared the physical violence the world thinks is power. When the truth of Christ and the example of Christ is lived out, even to the point of death, that's when the world and all unbelievers see the truth and the power of God. And this causes unbelievers to finally pay attention and even lead some to repent and turn to Christ. How do we respond right and now? How do we respond right away to this message? Well, Jesus gave us a way to respond right now, and it's through communion. Communion is this perfect way of participating in the body and blood, the presence of Christ. But Scripture also tells us that communion declares Christ's death until he comes again. Communion is another form of witnessing for Jesus. Go on and get out your communion now so that we can take it together, so that we can praise God together for this opportunity. Even now, within our own homes and with other family members and with other church members, we get to witness just by eating the bread and drinking the cup. Would you take out your bread now?
And would you bless God? Would you say a word to God that is good about him? God, we thank you for Jesus Christ. And we thank you for his bodily sacrifice to save us from our sins, but also, Lord, to offer hope to the entire world. And now eat the bread, the body of Christ. And would you take your cup? And would you say a blessing to the Lord? Say something good about God with this cup. Lord, we know that this cup shows us the blood of Christ who covered over all of our sins and makes us able to stand. Lord, we praise you for this new covenant in your blood. We praise you that we're declaring your death until you come again. And now would you drink the cup? Let's pray. God, I thank you for those scary warning sounds that you are trumpeting throughout all history. Our world is broken. Tragedy occurs every year. Wars happen every, every decade. People are suffering. It's out of our control. And yet you are still giving some of us time to repent and turn to you. Would you allow us to see clearly that these moments that you offer us are times for us to turn back to you and repent? Would you allow us to see that clearly? And Lord, for those of us who are in you and sealed with your Holy Spirit, would you give us the courage and strength to take the time to share what Jesus has done for us and what he can do for others, to witness what we have seen in Christ and what we've experienced in him so that others might be saved as well. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Maybe these trumpets that we've read about today in Revelation have warned you, and you haven't given your life to Christ, but you have skirted death time and time again. Maybe some of you, I've heard some of my friends say, I should have been dead by now. Maybe you should have been dead by now, but God has given you an opportunity and another chance to turn back to him. If you'd like to make a commitment to Christ, would you make that known publicly? Would you write it in the chat or send us an email or let us know in the church office so we can help you take your next best step to be in Christ, to walk and serve him faithfully so that you will be victorious and able to stand when tragedy strikes? Would you make that public now? Would you let somebody know right now that you want to turn your life to Christ? Most importantly, let God know. Tell him that you want Jesus above all other things, that you want to make him your master, and you will follow him and allow him to change everything that you love and everything about life so that it resembles what he loves and what his life looks like. If you'll let somebody know in our church office, we'll help you take that next best step. Thank you for allowing us to work through this very complicated passage of Scripture, talking about the witnessing of Jesus Christ to the entire world. Thank you for allowing us to take time to do that. Uh, we are living in some difficult times, but Jesus continues to promise that we in Christ will stand. And we have a job to do while we're waiting, and that is to witness for him. 
Would you continue to do that even if we don't get to see each other face to face or in person anytime soon? Would you continue to witness? Would you continue to use your life to share Jesus Christ? And then when we come back together in person gathering, we will celebrate what Christ has been doing through your witness and through your walk and through your faith, allowing you to remain strong and standing. We look forward to worshiping together again soon. If this message has inspired you or encouraged you, we would love if you shared it with a friend. To help support ministries like this one, go to wcconline.org slash donate.